Uh, we're in a series talking about what life with Jesus looks like, what life with Jesus means, how our life changes when we encounter life with him. And so we're in the Gospel of Luke, which uh, if you are familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John tell the stories of the life of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and just really what that all meant and what it means to encounter that. So that's what we've been discussing. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into our time together. So Father, I ask you now that you would open our hearts to hear from you. I believe that you uh, have something for everybody in this room, and it's not an accident that the people are here, whether they've been here for uh, several years or, or this is their first time today. God, you see every soul in this room, and you see every heart, and you see every thought, and you know what we need. And you know what life with you, Jesus, looks like in our particular lives. And so I pray that you would... Holy Spirit, communicate to our hearts, let us hear your word, let us be changed by you, and ask that you would just guide our time together this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, we've been looking at Jesus. We've been looking at the birth of Jesus and a lot of the kind of discussion around what was he going to be like and the prophecies around what was it that he had come to do. We, we looked at, especially last week, Jesus kind of saying himself, this is what his mission statement is. This is what he has come to do. And so we're, we're starting chapter five today, but all the chapters leading up have really just been about here's who Jesus is. Here's who he's going to be when he shows up. Here's his baptism. Here's what he says he's about. But today, it kind of begins to take a curve from just who he is and his heart and his mission. Today, it's about really his call. What happens to, to those that encounter Jesus? What does it look like to anybody that would say, I want to follow him? Not just who he is and what he's about and what he says he's here for, but what does it look like for somebody that might follow Jesus? What does it look like for any of us that would want to join Jesus? We saw who he is, but... But what now? It's not the whole, the whole of Luke is not just here's who Jesus is, but really what does it mean if our lives are to encounter him? What now? And you and I need a purpose in our lives. You and I need something to live for. It, without it, it's easy to just kind of float around. You, you maybe, you're born, you go to school for several years of your life, then you get a job, then maybe you get married or, or you make some friends and maybe you have kids and, and you get a house and, and then, then what? I mean, what does it mean to really be a Christian? What does it mean to really walk with Jesus now? After you say, yeah, I know who he is and I know what he's come to do and I know what his heart is, but, but what now? What, what does it mean now? And sometimes we can struggle to see where Jesus fits into our life Today, Sometimes we can struggle to see how he fits into the, the just normal rhythms of our life. And maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. You're just curious to kind of know, what would it mean if, if I said, okay, I'm, I'm interested in Jesus. Maybe you've even been coming the past a few weeks and seen, okay, that's who he is. I'm interested in that. But what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me to then say, okay, I, 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 I want to be with him? Or, or maybe... Maybe it's not that you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, or that you're curious in Jesus. Maybe it's just simply you look at your life and you long for meaning in some way. You long for there to be some deeper connection and deeper purpose to the things that you are doing. That it's not just Monday through Friday, a little bit of fun on the weekend, and repeat. You long for there to be some kind of deeper meaning. So what does Jesus want with our life now, what does Jesus want to do in, in anyone's life that would be interested in following him when, when he says, come to me? This is the story that we're going to look at today of the first time that Jesus says to people, come with me, come follow me. He's announced who he is, and now he invites people to come let their life be lived with him. What does that mean? What does it look like? How do we do it? So we're going to read this section and um, several kind of stories that flow out of what it means to what it means for our life now to be with Jesus. So let's look at this. We're in chapter five, and then we'll come back through. As the crowds, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. 
The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. There's so many people crowding in on Jesus that he says, I need to kind of step back and preach from a boat, which I think is pretty cool. So maybe one day I'll just bring a boat up on stage and preach from that. When he, that might be weird. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. That's just showing how much fish it is. It's not just like, wow, we got four. This is great. But their nets are tearing from how many fish they are catching. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. Leprosy, I don't know how familiar you are, if any of you were in in medicine, leprosy today is a, is a different disease than what it was called back then. Lepr- leprosy today is actually a more manageable disease, but at this point, leprosy was referred to as intense skin diseases that would cover the entire body, and because of how severe it was and how contagious it was, people that were leprous were not allowed to even be in the community. When they, maybe you've heard this if you've kind of heard Bible lessons before, but when they would walk around, they would even have to announce themselves and say, unclean, unclean, as they would come around. So they were not just sick, but they were actually excluded from the community because of how dangerous the disease actually was. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one. You see this a lot of times. We've seen this already, but uh, I just want to highlight it now. We see a lot of times Jesus telling people, don't go announce who I am. Don't go tell everyone I'm the Messiah. Don't go tell everyone what I'm doing. Because people's expectations then of who Jesus was, if they thought he's the Messiah, they, they thought of that politically. It might be, okay, great, this is a revolutionary that's going to take over Rome. And, and even from a healing standpoint, he didn't want the news just being broadcast all over the place of what he was doing to heal because then people would just come to him for healing, which his mission wasn't just to come and heal people, but to, to bring the good news of God's kingdom to people. And so that's why you a lot of times will see Jesus order people, don't tell anyone what I just did, but it doesn't work. I mean, if, if somebody did that for you, that's probably not going to happen. You're going to be like, okay, I won't, I won't tell anyone. Just, just this person, only them. And then they say, okay, I'm just going to tell this person too. And, and then they post it on, you know, ancient social media and it blows up. Go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So there was a provision made in the Old Testament that if someone had leprosy and if God had miraculously healed them. They were supposed to go to the priest. The priest confirms that that was done so that they're allowed to basically come back in and be a part of the community again. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. I love that line. I'm not preaching today on Sabbath and, and all that, but it's such an important line that, man, you... If, you're, if you are somebody that pours yourself out for others, whether that's in uh, your, your job or with your kids or in volunteer things or at the church or whatever it is, sometimes we put the expectation on ourselves to be superhuman and to think, man, I just got, there's always need, so I always need to give myself. And even Jesus is somebody that there's constant need, and yet he says, look, I need to go to deserted places and pray. Such an, important, such an important thing. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, these were the religious teachers, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. 
So there's some people, they've got a friend, he's paralyzed. They want to bring him to Jesus. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, but so crowded, since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Man, that is some dedication of those friends. You might want to bring your friends to church, but I've never, no one's ever come through the roof and been like, I'm getting my friends here, right? They take off the roof. They're probably some good friends, some redneck friends that are like, we can, we can take the roof off, you know, and they just put him before Jesus. Seeing, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus looks at this person, the friends lower him through the roof to take off the roof and put him before Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That's an amazing thing to say. That, I mean, look, if I sin against you, you can say to me, I forgive you. If you sin against me, I can say, I forgive you. But they, Jesus, this person didn't, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Which means he is saying, not that you sinned against me in some way, not, but he's saying, I am forgiving you of your sin. And only God can do that. Which they, the Pharisees, recognize that and go, that's blasphemy. If you are saying that you can forgive someone's sins, not for something just that they've done to you or, that, or you know, vice versa that you've done to them, but you're saying your sins are forgiven, that's a claim of divinity. That's a claim to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. So Jesus says, look, you you have a problem with me saying that I can forgive sins. What's easier to do? Tell someone your sins are forgiven or tell them to get up and walk? Well, it's obviously easier in some ways to say your sins are forgiven because no one sees the tangible proof of that taking place then. I could tell you, your life is going to be amazing 30 years from now. And there's no proof of that. So it's really easy to say. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. They're like, you can't say that. You're not God. So he says, okay, what's easier? To say that or to say get up and walk? Now, obviously, if, if someone says, get up and walk, and someone gets up and walks, and they're paralyzed, he's saying, that shows that what I'm saying before, I have the authority to say. If I, if I have the authority to tell someone to get up and walk that's paralyzed, I also have the authority to say, get up, your sins are forgiven. That's what happens, and the result, everyone was astounded, they were giving glory to God, they were filled with awe, and said, we have seen incredible things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. We've talked about this before, but tax collectors were not just like these upstanding citizens that worked for the IRS. Tax collectors, if those go together, uh, tax collectors were people that had basically traded on their own people. Rome occupied Jerusalem, and tax collectors were people that said, we'll work for you. I read a book recently on kind of the French resistance in World War II, and the people that worked with the Nazis when they came into France, the French people hated them because they were saying, look, we're going to work with the Nazis. It's a way for us to get money. We don't want our business to go out. We want it. We want it. They're called collaborators, right? If, you've ever, if you're into World War II movies and that kind of stuff. And so that's what tax collectors were. They were Jewish people that said, we're working with Rome. And not just we're working with Rome, but the tax collectors were hated because they would say, you owe us this much and you owe us more so that they would line their pockets and get rich. So people hated tax collectors. They were the most despised kind of class or group of people. Jesus sees a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, 
Look at these stories together. This is the first time that we see Jesus began to call people to himself. This, this is a collection of stories that isn't just Jesus saying, here's who I am, but it's where we begin to see Jesus saying, here's what it means to be with me. Here's what it means to follow me. And so anyone that would want to follow Jesus, anyone that would want to be a part of what Jesus is a part of, it's helpful for us to see. What does Jesus call us to? That's the first question I want to look at. Now, if we think about that question, what does he call us to? Might think about to leave our sins behind. We might think about obedience. So if you think about just what does Jesus call you to in your life, and it was before today, and you thought about that question, what is it that Jesus calls you to? Not just what do you believe about him, but what does he call you to? We might think, yeah, he wants me to leave my sin, or he wants me to obey him, and all that's true. But Jesus gives them something else. He says, from now on, back to the first story, from now on, you will be catching people. From now on, if, if you, in um, kind of Sunday school, there was a, you know, a story, or you, know, you might, might have even sang a song about being a fisher of men. Jesus says that. From now on, you will be catching people. You've been catching fish. From now on, you'll be catching people. This is so important. Because the first time ever that Jesus calls somebody to himself, the first time that Jesus says, I want you to be with me, the first time embedded in that call is a call not just to obey, not just to not sin, but is a call to be a part of catching people. The very first, it's very helpful for us to understand what does it mean when Jesus calls us is to say, so what did it mean when he called the first people. And it's not just to agree with Jesus. Some of you might agree with Jesus's teaching. It's not just to like Jesus. There's a lot to like about him. It's not just to believe in him and say, okay, all the things that we've looked at chapters one through four and said, Jesus is the savior. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's come to deliver. And you go, yeah, I, I believe that. It's not just to believe. The very first time that Jesus calls somebody to himself, embedded in that call is a call to say, I want you to be a part of catching people. Now, I, I don't really get fishing. I've been fishing many times, but most of the time it's just sitting. It's not really fishing. So unless you're really good at fishing, it's just sitting there with a pole, and that's not that much fun to me. And a lot of times, uh, most people that I know that fish, they don't even eat the fish. It's catch and release, which I really don't get. It's, I, I got it, and then you just throw it back. No one I know that hunts deer does that. Be like, we got him, okay? Send him back. I, I am, fishing's not a hobby of mine, so I, I don't really get, I like to eat, and I never order food and then, and then send it back and say, I just order and release. That's not, that's not something I do. <laughs> and I was reading this story and trying to think about, okay, he, he calls them, I want you to be catching people. And that's so, and probably, maybe some of you in here are professional fishermen. I don't, I don't, I don't think so, but um, none of you look like professional fishermen. None of you smell like professional fishermen, but... That's uh, okay. So, but this, uh, it's very, it's very different from our like normal context, right? If you're not a professional fisherman, then you can read that and go, okay, so he says to go catch people, but maybe that's a hobby. Maybe it's something you do, but what does it mean for, what does it mean for us? Maybe, maybe you're like me, you don't really get fishing. Maybe you're just like most of us, that's not your profession. But if you think about this, what he's doing is this. He's taking their work. He's taking what they know, right? He's in the middle of the boat with them. They've just been doing their job. And he's, he takes what they know. He takes what they get, what they're skilled at, what they're passionate about. He takes what, what they are familiar with, what they've been trained in, what they've spent, what they spend most of their days in. He takes that and says, I want you to take all of that. All, all that you are familiar with, with your vocation, all that you've been trained in, all your skills, all your knowledge, all your passion, all, all the time and devotion that you have with your job. He says, what if you use that to be a part of bringing people to me? See, I don't know what your job is. I, I know some of what, you're, what you do, but if Jesus were to come to you, maybe he wouldn't say, I want you to be you know, catching people. He wouldn't maybe use that word, but... If you're an engineer, or you're in sales, or, or you're a teacher, he would take some metaphor that, that is yours and say, I want you to be a part of teaching people to bring them to me. I want you to be a part of 
engineering and, you know, you've been engineering systems and, and software. I want, you to, I want you to do that for people and bring them to me. You've been in sales, winning people to a product. I want you to do that to me. See, he takes their career, their profession, in a lot of ways we could even say their identity and says, I don't want your identity to just be about fishing. I want your identity to actually change now. And the devotion, the time, and the passion that you feel about your work, whether you love it or it's just the, the amount of time and energy that goes into it, what if that was about me? What if that was about bringing people to me? See, that is embedded in the very first call that Jesus gives to anyone. And if he was to show up today in your life, he wouldn't talk about fishing. He would take your work and he would say, I want you to use all of that to be a part of bringing people to me. So he wants to catch, he tells them he wants them to catch people. For what? To catch them for what? Not, it's not the same as fishing. We, he doesn't, he's not saying he wants them to kill people. Well, that's what you do with a fish you do it right. He's saying, I want you to catch them for something, which is all the different stories than we just saw. So he goes from, I want you to catch people, and then we see what's next. Jesus goes to a leper, and he gives him back, obviously he, he gives him back skin health, but he gives him back from exclusion to community. That's why he tells him to go present him to the priest. I want you to catch people which is to say, I want you to allow people to experience community again that have been separated from it. That aren't, that I want you to give people God's family that are not in God's family. He then gives forgiveness and healing to a paralyzed man. I want, you to give, I want you to allow people to come to me and experience forgiveness. Matthew, I want you to take those that are the outcasts and the sinners and bring them to me. See, Jesus wants anyone that would follow him to join him in catching people for community, for forgiveness, for acceptance. See, here's what you see in all those stories. We move away from people that are in mess. And I don't mean, I don't mean that on your best day. I know that we have friends that are struggling or, and, and we move towards people. But our instinct, our instinct is to move away from people that are experiencing mess. Somebody's suffering, and yeah, we might move towards them a little bit, but it, I mean, if we're honest, it, it gets hard. It, get, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. And, it, it, and our instinct, we overcome those instincts sometimes. I know, I'm not saying you're all horrible people, but, but it's hard, right? And our instinct is to move away from those in struggle, in suffering. Our instinct is to move away from those in sin. I mean, if you've got family in your life or you've got friends in your life and they're stuck in things and they're going back to things and our instinct isn't be like, oh yeah, I love, I love drama. That's not our instinct. Our instinct is to say, I want to move away from that. Man, a tax collector, do you know how much it's going to take to get his life together? Man, a paralytic person, man, you know how much that's going to take? You know how much energy and time? A leper, oh man. And what we see in all these stories is Jesus moves towards mess. Jesus sees a paralyzed person and someone in sin and moves towards them. Jesus sees a tax collector and moves towards them. Jesus sees a leper and touches them. See, I, I don't know if you find yourself in any of those stories. Maybe you are suffering like the leper. Maybe you're in sin and stuck in it. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside. Jesus moves towards you. And the call that he gives when he says, I want you to join me. I want you to follow me. The call that he gives is to come and catch people, to move towards people, to give them the community, the acceptance, the forgiveness that he came to give to us. So if you follow Jesus, if you say that, if you say, yeah, I follow Jesus, or yeah, I, I like Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, if that's something that you say, the very first time that anyone followed Jesus, embedded in that call was a call to catch people. Embedded in it was this. And it, it's important to look at these people too, and, and maybe some of you need to hear this. None of these people were, the, these people that he called 
and especially even back to Peter, James, and John, the fishermen in the boats, they're not scholars. They're not the, you know, the rabbis of the day and the Pharisees of the day and the scribes. It, it talks about them, and they have their followers. The Pharisees, the scribes, they've got their religious group of people that are, that are into religion and, and into studying the Old Testament and into the rules and, and trying to be good people. They're into that. And Jesus goes to just normal workers and says, I want you. Sometimes it's really easy to be like, man, I got a job. That's my life. That's what I'm doing. And be like, okay, that sort of ministry stuff or, Christ, you know, the, man, catching people, that's sort of, that's not really what I do. Jesus comes to fishermen. If this was written today, we could say that Jesus comes to engineers, he comes to teachers, he comes to lawyers, he comes to moms, he comes to baristas, he comes to just normal people and says, I want you to follow me. I, I, want, I want you to join me. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be a part of bringing people into my family. I want you to catch people. He gives a purpose. Second thing is, how are we to respond to this? If that's what his call is, his call is to, to join him in catching people and, and be a part of that, how do we respond? What, what is it that that looks like to then say, okay, if you're a Christian, what does it mean to respond to his call? And we can look at a few things that, that they did. The first thing here is this. It says, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And I love that. I love that little, little sentence. Because implicit in it is, I'm not sure about this, right? I've already been, he says, we've already been working. We've already been fishing. We've all, Jesus, don't you think we know how to do our job? But if you say so, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. See, the first thing that it takes to respond to the call of Jesus is to obey. And often, often the things that Jesus asks you to do are simple. The first time that Jesus calls people to himself, he doesn't say, hey, come here, heal this leper. He could have done that, but that's not the first thing. The first thing was actually something very simple. It was, I want you to go back and put the nets out again. Something they'd already done, something they were already familiar with, but still something that didn't seem like we've already done that. But he calls to obedience. If you say so, I'll let down the nets. What, what in your life right now? Maybe it's something really simple. Maybe it's something you've already done. Maybe it's something you've already tried. Maybe it's something you already gave a shot to. But what in your life would Jesus be saying to you? Here's what it means to follow me. Come and do this. What is obedience for you? What does it look like? Where do you need in your life to say, even if you can look at, I've already tried it, I've already done it, I've already experienced it, it's unlikely, it's unlikely that I'm going to put down the nets and our boats are going to sink. That's not very like, where is it that you can look at all the excuses and all the reasons, but where do you need to say to Jesus, if you say so, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. That's the first Thing it looks like to respond to Jesus' call is to obey with a heart that is submitted that says, if you say so. There are things that Jesus probably, that, that God has spoken to you, and you might already know what they are, that he is saying, here's what it is to just simply do this to follow me. The second thing that they do is this, and we see this language in both stories. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. And then when he calls Levi, the tax collector, uses that same language. So, follow me. So, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. See, when Jesus calls people to himself, there's this obedience, and there's a leaving of everything. That language, that it repeats that in both of the scenarios where Jesus calls someone, is intentional. To say that, Embedded in the call to follow Jesus is to catch people. And one of the ways to respond to that call is we obey, if you say so. Another way that we respond to that call that it shows in both those things is to leave everything. That sounds scary, right? 
I mean, the, they, especially you think about the fishermen. I mean, they just had the most lucrative catch of their career. I mean, these are fishermen, right? This is, what this is where their money comes from. This is where their life comes from. And they, it's the most fish they've ever seen. And it says they left everything. Matthew sitting at his tax collector station. And Jesus says, come. And says he leaves everything, which would be a bunch of money sitting there, right? He says he left everything. One of the things that it looks like to respond to the call of Jesus is to leave everything. I, what does that mean for you? I, I, you know, I don't, maybe, it's, maybe it's your fish. Maybe it's your, your money at the tax booth. I don't know. But what I know is that Jesus is trying to give us, Luke is trying to give us a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And he says, Here, here's what is inherent in it. There's, as soon as Jesus begins to call people, he's giving us a pattern of what happens. He invites them to catch people, and they have to, in order to, be, in order to join with Jesus, you have to disjoin from something else. That is inherent in the call to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. It's the pattern that he's giving to us. What does it mean for you? Because a lot of times, I think for Christians or people that are interested in Jesus, we're stuck. We're interested in Jesus. We like Jesus. We like what he says. We like some of maybe what he can bring into our life. We like some of what maybe we hear on a Sunday. But we also are attached to this and often want both things. Want Jesus, want this. Want Jesus, want, want church, want community, want faith, want change, want to be close to God, want to grow, want better relationships, but also not sure we want to give something up, not sure we want to make a sacrifice, not sure that we want to be unliked or ridiculed by friends, not sure that we are willing to give up that sin that we love not sure that we are willing to leave behind the sacrifices that it costs. If you felt kind of stuck in between, back and forth, to become a disciple, inherent in that is to leave. And Jesus says when, when, when he's at Matthew's banquet, Levi's banquet, when he's there, and the Pharisees are criticizing and they're saying, Hey, you, you know, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus says, I came to call sinners to repentance. And repentance is another way to think about leaving things. Jesus, sometimes people talk about Jesus like he was just the life of the party because he goes to a lot of parties. And he shows up and he's there and he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And people are like, yeah, that's the Jesus I like, man. He's hanging out with people. And yeah, he's not afraid to be around a bunch of people that are sinning. And, and yeah, that's Jesus, man. He's so cool. And they maybe don't say it like in that voice, but that's, you know, that's how maybe they do after they've had a few, right? They're like, yeah, Jesus, right? But Jesus says, yeah, I did. I came to be around the people that are sinners to call them to repentance to call them to leave. I came to be with those far from God. I came to be with those that are outcasts. I came to be with those separated from community, to catch them, to give them community, to give them forgiveness, to give them myself, for them to leave and be with me. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe God's putting it on your heart right now. What does it mean to leave everything? What does it mean in heart to leave? See, sometimes it's a heart thing. It's a connection. It's a desire. It's goals even and what we wanted our life to be like and what we really want out of life and what we really want out of people and what we, and where is Jesus saying, you need to leave that to be with me? And maybe it's not a heart thing. It's an actual physical, tangible thing or a tangible person. And Jesus is saying, leave that. And be with me. 
It's hard to join Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to go where Jesus wants. It's hard to join the purposes that God has for your life when you're still stuck and connected to this. Obey, leave, and then, obviously, we, we've already kind of said this, but what it re- means to respond to the call is to then be a part of catching people, to bring people to him. Matthew is the great example of this. I keep saying Matthew, but it's, it's Levi and Matthew, and Jesus changes his name to, to Matthew. Uh, a lot of times, Jesus meets someone and changes their name, not because he doesn't like it. He's like, not like, ooh, Steve? Nah, how about Phil? Like, it's not like that. It's just he changes their names to something of significance. But he, he tells him, follow me, then Levi immediately, right? Levi leaves everything, and what's he do? He begins to catch people. He leaves everything, and then he hosted a grand banquet. Not a little banquet, a grand banquet. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were there. So he gives this call to Peter, James, and John. He says, I want you to be catching people. And it doesn't show us that they did anything yet. And Matthew, he says, I want you to to come follow me. And immediately we see a great example of somebody that's doing exactly that. Catching people. He hosts a big old party for Jesus. And he brings all his friends. You know what I love about this? Peter, James, and John are fishermen. If they were going to throw a big old party, a bunch of smoked salmon and, you know, maybe caviar or whatever, I don't know, calamari, you know, stuff that's fried and grilled and jerky and all big old fish fest, right? Maybe that's what they would have done. And it would have been fishermen that were there. Matthew throws a big old party and it's a crowd of tax collectors. That's Peter, James, and John. If they threw a big party, there's not going to be a bunch of tax collectors there. Here's what this means. There's particular people, there's particular people that God has designed you to catch. There's particular people that God has designed you to bring to him. Matthew is able to bring a crowd of tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated, nobody liked them, but Matthew was a tax collector, so he likes them. There are people, think about this, just think about this for you. Who do you know that is not a Christian? I'm talking to those of you that are Christians. I know some of you are not Christians. You're here, you're exploring, and that's great. Man, Matthew wasn't a Christian a sentence ago and then became one, so it's just as much relevant for you. Who do you know that's not a Christian? How do you think those people are going to experience the community that God has for them? How do you think those people are going to experience the forgiveness and the life and the love and the purpose that God has for them? I mean, it's going to be through you. Who else is it going to be? And especially, sometimes we can even think this, like, man, my friends would never go to church, or man, my friends would never. There's a reason that they're your friends. I mean, how easy would it be for Matthew to say that about tax collectors? And he was right. Matthew didn't just grab all the tax collectors and be like, we're going to synagogue, guys. But he threw a party. He said, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see him. See, there are particular people in your life. You're weird. I mean, that's what you've been told your whole life, right? That you're unique. I'm just putting a little different of a spin on it. You're, you know, there's a Dr. Seuss quote or something at one of the middle schools nearby that says like, I don't even remember what it says, but something like, no one can stand out but you. But it's like everyone driving by sees that. So that doesn't really make any sense. But no one can stand out but you, right? You are unique. You're weird. You've got your own intricacies and personality and differences and, and lifestyle and everything. And there's people that love you for it. How are those people going to come to see Jesus if it's not for you and all the hobbies and intricacies and weirdnesses and personalities that you have? God has designed you to be near the people that he has put you next to because he cares about you and he cares about them. That's what he did with Matthew. Jesus says to Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew says, yeah, I'm going. And then Matthew says, I've got a lot of other Matthews. I've got a lot of other tax collectors. I've got a lot of other cheats and swindlers. And they need you too. See, there's people in your life that God has put in your life, not just because, but he put you there because he knows you are the one that can catch them for him, that can give them the life that he desires for them to experience. Jesus is 
inviting you to respond to his call. Just the same, I mean, these are not just, look, when you read the Bible, this is so important. Like, these are not just, this is not just recorded stories that are there. Like, why, why is this here? You have to ask that when you, when you come to the Bible. It's not just, oh, that's interesting, huh. It's there for the readers, you and I, to draw us into something, to see something about our own life and what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to have life with Jesus, immediately the first time that Jesus calls anybody, embedded in it, is catch people. And to be a part of that, to respond to that, is to say, I'm going to obey, I'm going to leave some stuff, and I'm going to bring some people to you. Jesus has a purpose for you just as much as for them. He wants you to be a part of his team just as much as he wanted them. Finally, what do we need to respond to his call? His call is to join him, to catch people. We respond in obedience and leaving and bringing or what do we need to do that? Because we, you might already know this. You might already know, okay, yeah, that's part of what it means to be a Christian or part of what it means to follow Jesus, but we kind of lose interest or we get tired or, or we just don't have the energy. Like, ooh, how, what do we need to keep kind of going in that, to respond to his call? And the biggest obstacle to this, the biggest obstacle to joining Jesus, to being a part of what he is doing, the biggest obstacle is religion. You see that in the Pharisees, in two different stories. The Pharisees were the religious people. They were the churchgoers. They were the ones that, they were the ones that loved God and read the Bible and went to synagogue. And they're the ones constantly putting the brakes on what Jesus is trying to do. They're the ones constantly saying, I don't know about that. I don't know if you should be with that person. I don't know if you should hang out with these people. I don't know if you can forgive that person. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And listen, the Pharisees, again, like when we read the Bible, what you have to think about, the Pharisees are not just put in the Bible as the bad guys. You know, every story needs a good bad guy. But it's not just for entertainment purposes to be like, ooh, there's the bad guy again. It's really for temptation purposes. And what I mean by that is the Pharisees are written into all the Gospels, but we really see this in Luke. It's written in there for us to see what we are likely going to be tempted towards. That's the antithesis of what we are called to. The Pharisees represent in some way, and I'm not saying represent as in they're not real people, they are, but from the writer's standpoint, what they function as in the story is they represent the voice in your head and the voice in your heart that keeps you from Jesus, that keeps you from faith in Jesus and seeing who he is, that keeps you from walking with Jesus in obedience, they represent that. They represent the voice that says, do you really want to be with sinners? Do you really want to hang out with them? Is that really what you should do? See, the biggest obstacle to responding to Jesus, to responding to his call in our life to join him, is religion which inherently is this, a low view of God. It, it, it presumes a high view of God, but it's really a low view of God because it says we can be acceptable to God by what we do and all the things that, that we have got in our lives and we are acceptable to him, which is a low view of God and a high view of ourselves. I am acceptable to God. These people are not acceptable to God. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners says I'm not a sinner. See, and one of the biggest obstacles that will keep you from actually joining in God and what he wants to do and the purpose that he has for your life is a religious sense of a low view of God. I don't know what that was. And a high view of ourself. High view of ourself. Here's what, here's what Jesus says he came to do. Jesus replied to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If that statement gets down inside of us, if that statement gets inside of our bones, that's what we need. 
It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you view yourself in this as someone who needs a doctor? Do you view yourself in this as someone who is a sinner? Or do you view yourself mainly as someone who is healthy and someone who is righteous? Jesus says, I've come for people that are on the outside. I've come for people that know they're not righteous. I've come to those that know their own sickness. Here's what happens. Here's how this helps us to respond to his call. If you know I need, if you know I need someone to help me, I know I need someone to help me, that gives you a humility. That gives you a thankfulness. That gives you a gratefulness that he would save you. And if you see what he has done, if you see yourself rightly and you see him rightly, then you say, I want him. It's not just you see how sick you are and how hurt you are and how sinful you are. That's not what Christianity is. It's not just, here's what Christianity is, low self-esteem. That's not what it is. But it's you see, I am in need. I am sick. And you see, he's a great doctor. He's a great healer. He's a great forgiver. And I have him. You see that modeled in Peter in the story. You see, Jesus gives him all these fish. And Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Because he sees this display of Jesus' greatness. And immediately it causes him to realize, wow, I'm in the presence of something beyond me. And Jesus doesn't say, that's right. You better be, you are a bad man and you better be scared. He actually says, don't be afraid. I want you to be a part of my life now. I want you to be with me. Come follow me. See, the more that you see yourself in need, the more that you see yourself as, as unworthy of God's love and unworthy of God's grace and unworthy of God's forgiveness, the more that you see yourself as sick and as a sinner that's in need, and you see, the more you see that Jesus meets that, and says, yes, and I'm here for you, and I love you, and I forgive you, and I heal you, and I accept you, the more then that you're able, like Matthew, to say, I want to bring others to feel that. I want to bring others to see that. It gives you a humility. It gives you a boldness. It gives you a boldness because you realize if God can save me, he can save anyone. If, God, if you know the depths of your heart, and you really know how messed up and in need you are, and you believe that Jesus saved you, then that gives you a boldness to go, man, if he can heal that in me, he can heal them. If he can forgive that in me, he can forgive them. This is what we need to continually come back to, to see and respond to his call. See ourselves rightly and see him rightly. See ourselves as in sin and see himself as a forgiver. See ourselves as sick and see him as the great doctor. That's what Jesus says he came to do, and that's what we need to see, and it, it changes us. It gives us a power. Here's what all this means. You want life with Jesus? It's not just belief. It's not just faith. It's not just liking him. It's not just knowing who he is. It's joining him in what he calls us to. You want life with Jesus? You, you, want, you, want to, you, you wonder, what now? I'm a Christian. Okay, what now? This is what he says. He says he wants you to join him, to be a part of his purposes, to leave what needs to be left, to obey in what needs to be obeyed, to then join in bringing people to him. Here, let me give you just a few practical things that this could mean for your life. It can mean a lot of things. It might mean you need to go through some of those questions and say, where do I need to leave? What do I need to obey? You know, another practical thing it can mean is we have Easter coming up in seven weeks. Easter is a great day to say, who, who can I bring to Jesus? Maybe you just bring them to a banquet at your house. That's great. Throw a grand banquet. But we're also going to throw a grand banquet here in seven weeks on Easter. And we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and it's a great day to invite friends and say, I want them to see Jesus. Begin to think about that now. Begin to pray about that now. Those are a couple things. Easter coming up. And to just kind of think through those 
questions. What if all of us had that conviction and that commitment that life with Jesus isn't just knowing who he is, but it's actually joining him in what he cares about? What if that became, what, what if it was true of us that we took that seriously and said, I'm willing to leave, I'm willing to obey, to catch people so they can experience what he's given to me? When we come and take communion, we remember that Jesus had his body broken, he had his blood shed. Why? To save sinners, to be the great doctor that heals sinners. It, it says in, in the Bible that by his stripes we are healed. And that doesn't, it's not just physical sickness, but he's talking about that Jesus came to be the great doctor for those in need. This is the invitation that you have if you're not a Christian, that Jesus would speak to you today to say, come to me. And it's what all of us that are Christians have experienced that we remember again and again to thank him, but also to remember that inherent in what he has done for us is a call to be a part of that with him and bringing that to others. So I'm going to pray and then um, we're going to respond in taking communion and singing songs. And we did this last week. I'm going to do it again this week. And, and then it will become kind of a, a once a month rhythm for us. But I just wanted to do it a couple weeks in a row. But I'm also going to, during the communion time, I'm going to be in the back. If anyone wants prayer for anything, whether that's for healing, we believe God can heal people. He doesn't always. But if that's for healing or it's just for anything going on in your life, I'll be in the back. I would love to, to pray for you. I know several of you came back there last week and would love to pray for you uh, this week. So will you pray with me now as we enter into a time of responding to God? Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you, that you for those of us that call you Savior, you, you caught us. You brought us into your family. You gave us life. You gave us community. You gave us all the benefits of knowing you. You did that for us, and we thank you. Not because we were special, not because... Uh, we were so good or, or anything like that, but you did that because you are the doctor. You are the healer. You are the forgiver. And I thank you that you've given that to us. And I pray, Lord, for our church that we would not only receive that, but that we would bring that to those in our lives. I pray that you would help us to not just believe who you are, but to join in who you are and what you want. Help us now as we sing and take communion to allow these truths to even go deeper into our heart. In your name, Jesus, we pray.